0: Taking an Easter break, it is very interesting that as we consider Acts chapter 12, it actually is the only passage in the Bible in which the word Easter appears. I've, I'm preaching from this passage this morning for more reasons than that, but I thought that that was very interesting and. In calling the sermon, Taking Your Knees to Break, of course I am not qualified because I'm not an outdoors person at all to talk about fishing. I know there's at least one very keen fisherman here that I know and uh, camping or outdoors things, unfortunately those sort of things I wasn't able to do growing up so I can't give you any advice as to that. But I think it is... Important from time to time to take a little break and consider certain things. I know in myself I have the tendency to get up no matter what and do the job no matter what. I've realised that I'm very single minded and I've got to get in there and get things done. But of course, the Lord does say to us through His Word that it is important to be still and know that I am God. Every Sunday evening when I'm leading, I realise that on permanently on the prayer sheet, I'm compelled to pray for two things, and that is for the sanctification of saints and the salvation of souls. And, of course, the two are very much related. Talking about springtime and thinking back to my upbringing as a a farmer's child, I know that only mature plants and mature animals can have children. It's not something that babies do, it's only for adults and of course if we truly seek the salvation of our loved ones, then really we should be seeking to have a closer walk with Christ all the time. And perhaps I don't have to remind the older folk because the older folk are more conscious of how more quickly time moves, but at the end of April, we can say that this year, 2022, is one-third spent. One-third gone. Yes, already. So perhaps admit... In the middle of this Easter break, it is only fitting that we consider ourselves and and consider our personal goals of sanctification. We cannot be a soul winner until we are indeed a sanctified Christian. We should, as number one says, we should consider things as they are. This year is one third spent and it's been a tough one. Even Pastor Matthews, I noticed, did pray that there is much discouragement fuel around us that perhaps is affecting us. I don't have to talk to you about Lismore. I don't have to talk to you about the Ukraine. It's all there. Perhaps there are some cir- uh, some circumstances in your own life that are discouraging for you. And perhaps this has manifested Itself, It certainly is appropriate to consider how well our personal conversation, our personal testimony truly reflects Christ. I know that I am in a war with myself every day still as an experienced question, uh, Christian. I battle with frustration and, Pastor, I got frustrated with you this morning and I'm so sorry. I apologise, it was over technology which is a personal kryptonite of mine but I'm very much aware that I am still in a spiritual battle and I know that at times some of my personal issues did compound at my work and as I was trying to explain what was going on at work it was interesting that the first thing my manager said to me which was not a Christian is Gavin how are you and that really was the whole point Perhaps it's time to consider things as they are. But even as we consider things as they are, the word of God is written for us. It's written for our learning. It's written as Second Timothy 3.16 has told us that we might be truly furnished, that every good work that God requires of us is not something that is an elder or a mythical city of gold that we can't possibly... Achieve, we have everything we need unto life and godliness. And there are some things that I hope at this time would prove to be a great encouragement to you this morning from Acts chapter 12. Even as we consider things like dark circumstances, deep discouragement, we do need to acknowledge, first of all, that God is sovereign. God is very personal, he knows what we're going through and the children of God really has been through it all before and the Lord has already, always remained perfectly faithful. The dark circumstances that we see in Acts chapter 12 um, revolves around Herod the king. Now we're familiar with the name Herod, might, what you might not be familiar with was this particular Herod. History calls him Herod Agrippa I, as opposed from Herod the Great, who built the temple, who persecuted Christ when he was two years old. This was his grandson, but there was some particular characteristics, some nasty ones, surrounding this particular Herod. Herod the Great, he built the temple to appease the Jews because he wasn't Jewish by birth. He built Caesarea Maritima, which is mentioned even in in this passage, once again to appease Caesar, Caesarea. That was the idea here. And this Herod wanted to please the Jews that he was governing. He realised that there was political mileage in doing that, so he stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. We read that in verse 1. In verse 2, we read something that's mentioned very briefly and matter-of-factly but should have an impact on us that in this persecution, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, this is a significant thing and it speaks to me mainly in two ways. First of all, we're actually examining the gospel of john in sunday school and in some way i feel a little bit of an affinity with john and i certainly know how i would feel if something like this happened to my brother i can only imagine the impact there secondly of course it has been said that james was a member of the disciples in a circle even though i'm not sure how comfortable i am with this concept i know that On the Mount of Transfiguration, there was only three disciples present and James was one of them. So I can only imagine the impact that that had upon the church. And of course, it does vex in us or prompt in us the reason why, which we too soon ask, And even as I was looking at this passage, I found something, once again, that was briefly and matter-of-factly stated by the commentator MacDonald, but it was a blessing to me. Let me share it with you now. Faith rests on the love and wisdom of God. Shall I repeat that? Faith rests on the love and wisdom of God. Of God, I'm sure I will not get an argument from anyone here when I say that God is entirely loving. I'm sure no one would disagree with that statement. God is entirely wise. Look at that, no contradiction there either. And yet, when things happen in our lives that are unpalatable to us, we seem to forget that. We don't know the ins and outs of why things happen, but we know the wisdom and the love from whose hand it comes. And we defer to his greater love and we defer to his greater wisdom. But as we look at verse 3, we see dark circumstances and, and deep discouragement and we do see also that Herod after the death of James saw that his opinion polls actually rose amongst the Jews. What he did was very popular amongst those people that he was hoping to appease. The Jews were a contentious bunch and he was all about political expediency so after James was out of the picture he went After Peter. But there we actually do see the hand of God. Even, yes, uh, the apostle was at very great risk. We see the hand of God in it. In brackets at the end of verse 3, we do see that these were the days of unleavened bread. Which means two things. First of all, this was an important religious occasion as far as the Jews were concerned. So it was not expedient for, for Herod to fast-forward or fast-track Peter's execution. He had to stay his hand in that regard. Secondly, because he was doing it for their approval and their attention, he was never going to execute Peter at a time when they just weren't watching. So he stayed his hand. Rather than executing Peter as quickly as he did James, he put him in prison. He 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 appointed sixteen guards that swat four that's a difficult word quaternions means sixteen guards on shift to take watch of him. That was the risk that Peter had, and it was a considerable one. But perhaps what should speak more highly to us than the risk that Peter was in is his response. This is really what should be of great interest to us because when the Lord does intervene in this situation, we see in verse 6 that Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. I put it to you, and it is my contention, that this was a different sleep than the one we saw Peter sleep on the night of the Lord's betrayal. That was not the right thing for him to do, It showed a spiritual and physical exhaustion. We know that that not long after that, Peter did betray the Lord three times. But I believe that this is a different kind of sleep altogether. Despite the risk that he was in, Peter's response was of absolute peace. In the Gospel of John at least, uh, and to be precise, in John 21, 18, the Lord had already conveyed to Peter the death which he would die. And he made it very clear that Peter would live to an old age. And based on that promise alone, Peter did sleep the sleep of the just. Some commentators has even called it a Slumber of triumph. Because no matter how dark his circumstances looked, he had the promises of God and that was enough for him. It was enough for him. It is funny that as you read this account further, there's a delightful English word. I'm really into vocabulary. And there's a wonderful English word that goes like this i mispronounce that let me try again Synambulist. it's a cool word isn't it and it basically means sleepwalker and without trying to be offensive to peter it does take a fair bit of time in the narrative before he realizes that all this that's happening to him is actually not a dream it's not until as we follow things along and we get to verse 10 where he, the, the shackled he, he gets smote in, in. verse 7, the angel of the Lord comes and smotes Peter on the side and says, get up, Peter. His chains fell off. It's all very dreamlike at the moment, isn't it? And that's the way that Peter's accept, accepting it. And then and the angel said, get dressed, put your shoes on. And he's following the angel there and in verse 9 we're reminded uh, he wished not that it was true but he thought he saw a vision. And then in verse 10 he goes past the first ward, then the second ward and then he comes to the iron gate that leads under the city. And just like the doors at Parramatta Westfield it just opens automatically and through he goes. And it's only when the angel is gone he looks around and goes, oh, okay. This is absolutely real. And the reason why this is significant is that this is a far different Peter than the one that we saw that was thrashing about hopelessly and helplessly on the Sea of Galilee. This was a far different Peter who was so self-reliant that he said, if every other one of these turkeys desert you and betray you, I'm going to be the last man standing. This is a different Peter than the one that drew his sword in the garden and cut off the ear of Malchus. Gone was the self-aggrandisement and the spotlight-seeking, but more importantly than that, gone was the self-reliance. And in its place was a complete and utter dependence of God we have heard of the hymn and it's been a blessing to all of us I'm sure the hymn trust and obey and we certainly see this very well modeled by Peter's response here so now he's free and now what do I do well he decides that he's going to go to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered together praying. This is actually the second instance and the second reminder that the saints of God were urgently praying for Peter at this time. It is mentioned at verse 5, at the beginning when Peter was kept in prison, and the prayer meeting, it seems, ..was going on throughout the night. There doesn't seem too much doubt that where we are in verse 12 is early in the morning and the prayer meeting is still going on. And certainly it is never a wrong thing to pray. I I'm I'm pray, I'm very thankful that this is a praying church. But there's something quite amusing here in the fact that even though the saints were praying as they should for a long time... They refused to believe that their prayers had been answered. It took, it seems, several minutes for Peter to convince them that it really was him and he needed to be let in. In fact, as this damsel rota, damsel young lady, came in, there was even a whole lot of kooky conspiracy theories about why they shouldn't answer the gate. Peter just got arrested... Herod is seeking our life, it's got to be a trap, it's got to be a trick. No, it's a ghost, it's an angel. All these theories came from the mouths of the children of God. And it really does give to us an important point that we, like the religious people of old that Jesus condemned, can maintain the right practice with the wrong heart attitude. And unfortunately, with wrong attitudes, they will always come out in the end. Though I've spent most of my adult life being very busy in ministry and I've always prioritised ministry, I can say from time to time that I haven't faced things like the endless cycle of Friday nights and Sunday mornings with the right attitude. And as I said and has have said often, friends, unfortunately there will be a time in your life when the mask will slip and people will see you for what they are. May, quite simply for the sake of ourselves and for the sake of the God that we say that we serve, may our hearts truly march in time with our mouth. May we see that the commandments of the Lord should not be grievous to us. When we go through dark circumstances and the potential for deep discouragement comes, may we realise, as even the saints in the book of Acts, realise that God will not tempt us above that which we are able. There will always be a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. And the disciples and the believers in the book of Acts believe that so thoroughly that when they were persecuted for their faith, when they were physically punished, they rejoiced because they were considered worthy to suffer for his name. They were able to bear it. Through the eye of faith... When we consider things as they are, we need to consider things as they were. We need to consider that from cover to cover, as far as the Bible is concerned, God has always proven loving. God has always proven wise. God has always proven faithful. And through the eyes of faith I trust, next time you go through dark circumstances and potentially deep discouragement, You will consider things as they will be. In other words, through the eyes of faith, may you see the ending of things even before the beginning. Because this passage, even though it opens on quite a sad tone, it ends triumphantly. In verse 17, we see Peter beckons to them, he to hold their peace, because obviously they were astonished. They, they couldn't believe that God had answered their prayer in such a way. He beckoned them to hold their peace. He told them what happened. He said, go show these things unto James. And commentators believe that was James, son of Alphaeus, by the way, not the one who had just passed, rudely called James the Less by some people. I don't know what, how he'd feel about that, but that was probably the James mentioned here. Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. And some commentators are willing to offer all sorts of guesses about where he went because nobody knows and MacDonald just says it's impossible. The point is Peter went where he wanted to go. Peter went where he felt led to go. Peter was absolutely free through the grace and loving care of our god the fact is that whatever you are going through friends please see it comes through the hand of by the hand of god it's designed by god please remember that joseph was a slave and then he took the lowest step that you could there's only one place down you can go from being a slave and that is being a prisoner and he endured that for at least two years. But when the Lord delivered him, I love the fact that his response was very measured. He simply shaved, he made himself look respectable and then he was ready. There didn't doesn't seem to be the outpouring of emotion because he absolutely saw through the eyes of faith that his day of deliverance would come. And we know, of course, that he set a record that as far as I know has never been broken He went from prisoner to prime minister in in the span of a single day. A saint set free, as we will all be one day. A wicked hand stilled. we see the account where Herod had some sort of political dispute with Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, these two places, wanted to kiss and make up because they depended on the wheat that came from Nazareth. So, as people still say today, it's not what you know, it's who you know. They made friends with the King's Chamberlain, a man by the name of Blastus, and they were able to get an audience that way. And Herod wanted to show them who's boss. He dressed up nicely, he came out, he made a very measured and prepared speech before them. And because they wanted that wheat, they all cried out, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. And we do read that the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. The wicked hand at last was stilled. And we know that there will be a point in time when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our problem is that we want to push forward God's program For the sake of our own comfort, for the sake of how uncomfortable our enemies can make life at times. But please remember that those people, even those people that hate you, are people for whom Christ died. And God is altogether merciful. But those outside of Christ will get theirs in due time. may we look forward to that time through the eyes of faith. Verse 24 and verse 25 conclude the chapter and we see that even though at this point in time Herod is dead, our God is very much alive. But the word of God grew and multiplied. It almost seems as though two different characters are bootlegged right and at the end of the chapter, Barnabas and Saul, they returned from Jerusalem. In other words, they went back to their home church in Antioch They had business in Jerusalem, they fulfilled that, and then they were off, where were they off to? Paul's first missionary journey. And I hope I'm not the sort of person that exaggerates, and I'm sure I'm not doing so here. What was about to happen was about to turn the world absolutely upside down in the sense that the fruit from Paul's missionary journey is still going on to this day. So, the chapter ends on the best possible note the fact that Barnabas and Saul and John Mark are going out to shine the gospel light throughout the entire world. And surely, friends, if we are the, truly the followers of the joy, Lord Jesus Christ, that's what we want to do. We want to show what the Lord means to us by enduring temptation and enduring trials suffering those things as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving God the glory, surely we want to shine a gospel light in this dark world, this dark society, this dark country. Perhaps it's time for us to take an Easter break and and truly see those areas in our lives where we are not glorifying God. Take a break. Pray, read God's word. God has promised that the word like an infallible perfect mirror will show you the areas where we need to bow the knee and dedicate them afresh to our Lord. And the good news is that as we're about to sing, that if we ask God for that grace, if we ask God for that spiritual power to make those changes, just like springs of living water... He will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory. Amen.